Hello, welcome to PSR, which of course on Thursday means people speaking rail. I am one of your hosts, Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm head of intermodal solutions here at FreightWaves uh, on the data side of the house. Also joined with my colleague, Joanna Marsh, who does the uh, editorial writing on the freight railroad industry. Good to see you, uh, Joanna. Um, saw that you had an article that you're about to publish, I think, um, on the FRA. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. It, it was a busy day uh, yesterday and actually a busy time this week. Um, so the Federal Railroad Administration um, has said that it wants to um, be more involved in the track inspections. And so uh, they actually have an automated track inspection um, equipment. They have a program and um, and they want to deploy uh, that that equipment on um, on railroad tracks where uh, there there's a lot of um, ha- hazmat traffic so um, so they they uh, so they're gonna work with PIMSA the pipeline um, I can never remember <laughs> what it stands for but like the pipeline and hazardous materials safety administration um, to uh, sure that's right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. To to identify um, uh, which routes uh, have you know the, the the traffic with the hazmat trains, um, and they're mm-hmm. going to um, first use or first use the the automated track inspection equipment on um, on the track where the derailment occurred with Norfolk Southern, and then of course you know identify other places as well. So that's one piece that's happening. Uh, there are so many other pieces as well. The the Senate of uh, a group of um, uh, five senators, bipartisan um, group, actually um, uh, introduced a bill yesterday on rail safety. Um, some of the items were uh, are kind of more directly related to to the incident, such as sort of like wayside detectors, kind of like looking at the operations for that, and and sort of and and, tra- and inspections, kind of procedures for that. But there's also other things in the bill as well, such as um, requiring uh, train crew sizes to have at least two people. Um, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens, or you know, given sort of what, what's going on with the political momentum these days, and and just. Uh, the overall momentum facing, um, you know, the rail industry in terms of like what safety uh, regulations might come out. Great. So go check that out on the site um, as always. And, uh, you know, with that, I want to bring on our guest who has tremendous insight into all of these issues. Our guest today is Daniel Elliott. Daniel is a Washington DC based attorney, principal of GKG law. He's also the former chairman of the U.S. Surface Transportation Board. That's the independent uh, organization that economically regulates the railroad industry. He was presidentially appointed that role and confirmed by Congress for two terms, both in 2009 and 2015. He now mainly handles uh, rail transportation and regulatory contract matters on behalf of shippers and other constituents. Uh, Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, always great to talk to you. I think the last time I, I talked to you was um, at one, a conference you hosted in Washington D.C. A, a few years a, a few years ago. Um, I wanted to, uh, you know, wanted to ask you. I mean, you, um, you know, r- really have uh, you know done a lot now on on the rail service side of things, and you know, you've seen um, you know in the last year there's been so many sort of service, you know, if you want to call them service failures, service breakdowns. I mean, what are you hearing from shippers in terms of their biggest uh, pain points? Uh, you continue to hear uh, frustration from shippers. Most of the things that I hear, of course, anecdotal. Um, but generally speaking, you 
many of the shipper groups that I talk to are still um, suffering from poor service uh, from the various class one carriers. And um, there's a lot of frustration out there. And uh, that has led to probably a little bit more action by those shippers at the STB and uh, through Congress. Um, so uh, I, I, I don't really have any uh, strong data on it, but uh, I, I'm not hearing any anybody saying that everything's all better and uh, they need to relax now. It, it seems like people are still going through a lot of frustration. Hmm. Okay. Um... Let's see. And I guess, uh, let's see, um, I, you know, there there have been kind of, you know, a lot of rail surface issues lately, as you said, and, and it, it sounds like they, they haven't sub- subsided as much. Or I know that the industry has said, you know, that their metrics have improved, but um, that there, but there's still a ways to go, essentially. So um, I guess, you know, from, from the shipper's perspective, I mean, um, when, you know, uh, is it sort of that the service continues to be bad or that the service has Im- improved or I'm just trying to get a sense of like, you know, how service has, has been like over the years and, and, you know, what, um, what shippers see as, as being, um, you know, the, the factors to, to, to that deteriorating service or, or improvements in service. There has been some improvement in the metrics, uh, especially mm-hmm. the metrics that the STB tracks over the last six months. Um, and I think if we go back to when the STB had the hearing uh, on service issues back in April, and then they had a subsequent hearing in December with Union Pacific and their embargoes, I, I do think that the railroads have made some efforts to hire, um, especially uh uh, new crew persons to uh, work on the railroad. Uh, they had cut those positions significantly leading up to that time. Um, I think partly related to precision schedule railroading and uh, partly related to the downturn in demand early on in COVID. And then they were caught flat footed when the demand surged back uh, during COVID. And uh, I've seen numbers as high as 30% cut in workforce. And generally, I think there's been a lot of uh, issues with surrounding um, a lack of crews. So for those in your audience who do not know this, um, most, uh, well, crews by law uh, are uh, subject to hours of service so they can go dead on time, which means they can only work a certain amount of hours and then they have to immediately stop the train and have a new crew come on. And if there's not another crew available, uh, that just means the train sits until that crew is available. Uh, I kind of compare that to what you see when you're on a airplane on occasion you hear that that the crew can't come on because they've run out of time. So it's a very similar, type of law. Obviously, there's a lot of safety concerns and fatigue issues that uh, have to be taken into consideration, which is why Congress came up with such laws and the FRA has imposed regulations of that nature. So most of it revolves around um, crews. Um, You know, you hear lack of power, locomotives, uh, um, and other, other issues. Usually you hear a lot of issues on first mile, last mile, 
um, which is one of the things that the STB is trying to look at as far as metrics, because a lot of people say that the metrics that the STB has right now um, do not adequately um, demonstrate whether or not there are service issues or not uh, to uh, shippers that receive service from railroads. So the STB has been looking at that and, and has been getting new data uh, along those lines since the hearing um, back in April. So uh, I do think there, there, there's some strides being made by the railroads. Uh, the hiring has, um, I think there was a 4% increase in hiring over last year. Um, and obviously, if they had already cut 30%, uh, that does not really remedy the entire situation. So I still think they're short on people, and that has led to uh, a continuation of that of those service problems, and mm -hmm. that's why you're still hearing people complaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think changed with, with crewing? I mean, it used to be that the railroads, when the volumes improved, they could hire back everyone who's on furlough because they would make more on the railroad. You know, what, what changed? Did you just attribute that to PSR and just a worse lifestyle, or, or, or how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I think there's uh, several things at play here. Um, we obviously all heard about after the pandemic, many companies were having a difficult time hiring. So I, I do believe that they were um, subject to that unusual dynamic that maybe we've never even seen in the, the history of our country. Um, and I think a second uh, dynamic is, you know, I, I worked um, for Smart TD for 16 years early in my career. So I, I worked with a lot of conductors over those years and um, and right now that's a different generation um, than the young generation that the railroads are trying to hire. And, and my view is that, you know, back then that job was kind of viewed as a, as a great job, uh, kind of uh, almost romantically uh, perceived you're out on the road and you're doing a, a hard day's work. You get to travel the country to some extent and uh, you get great pay for the most part in comparison to other jobs of that nature and uh, benefits are excellent for the most part. And, and I think being away from your family as those jobs require you to do has, um, I think, kind of taken on a greater importance with uh, some of the generations that are, are now being asked to work in those jobs and, and people aren't as willing to leave their families for weeks at a time and go out on the road and uh, be away. Uh, so they would prefer to get a job maybe that doesn't pay as well, um, but be able to come home to their family every night. Uh, and then I think the third dynamic is just what you mentioned is um, with the decrease, uh, you know, the job cuts that were uh, put in place uh, several years ago, uh, that's required the crews that are still working to um, really be on demand at all times. And that's a very difficult life because you're basically on call. And uh, so you can be out at your kid's softball game and all of a sudden you get a phone call and you got to go to work. So there's a little, not a lot of predictability. And I think there was more predictability, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago about when you're going to get called and how much work you're going to do 
Um, so I, I think that has also deterred a lot of folks. And I do not know the exact um, demographics uh, with respect to age groups, but my guess is as you get closer to the end of your career and um, the work life gets a little bit more difficult, uh, it makes it a lot easier um, to retire uh, earlier than you may have earlier planned on. So you're, you're getting railroad retirement, which is better than Social Security. Um, and not that many years ago, you were getting a decent pension. So some of the uh, older uh, conductors and engineers still have pensions um, or 401ks that are pretty hefty. So, uh, you know, there's just three huge things at play there. Um, I think one would be enough, but I think all three combined has led to uh, even difficulties hiring. Um, and I, I, and I, and, and I guess the fourth dynamic is, you know, the railroads are still under a lot of pressure from wall street and their investors, as we've seen lately. And, um, cutting jobs or keeping those numbers low is something that appeals, uh, at, to shareholders and usually drives the stock up. Um, so the railroads are under that pressure and, um, and it seemed to be they were thriving uh, with the job cuts under PSR initially, but I think some of that has come back to bite them um, just because uh, the service has been poor and um, that's led to a lot of complaints and it's taken on more of a public nature. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, right there. Yep. Oh, no, I was just saying, it's interesting all those factors that are, are going on because I, I feel like you know, some of those kind of feed into even like looking at the the negotiations that happened uh, over the last several years and um, and the contentious nature that arose. And, and then you have the sick leave issue, of course, and um, and just, you know, how do the railroads shift from from, you know, I, I guess it, it, it seems that the railroads should shift, I guess, somehow. And it's like, how do you go about doing that? And then, of course, you have like, do you do that through, you know, technology and 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 uh, sort of modifying operations or whatever, or, you know, like all the, what are the various ways? So, um, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I guess Mike, do you want to ask the next question? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just, one thing is that's interesting to me. I mean, there's just, seems like there's so many things in front of the current service transportation board. I mean, they're looking at things like streamlining rate cases. They're looking at reciprocal switching. There is, you know, they're doing all these hearings on, you know, the, the, the service issues, redefining common carrier obligation, kind of the list goes on. Are there any of those that you really think could have a potential huge, you know, impact to, to the shippers that, that you work with now? Well, I think, you know, number one on the list of the STB, um, just because it's the most public of all these things and it has, um, with the supply chain issues that came out of COVID and uh, the related rail service issues, um, you know, that's a very hot button issue right now with inflation and those issues. Um, and normally you don't see rail issues raised to the top um, uh, as far as issues, you know, facing our country. But right now those service issues uh, obviously can impact the supply chain. They can impact inflation. And I know that there's got to be a, a lot of pressure on the STB to at least improve service, which they have done to a certain extent, as you've mentioned earlier. But um, I'm sure they're under constant pressure from 
um, all sorts of uh, people, including shippers and uh, politically. So that in itself uh, is overwhelming. When I was at the STB from 2013 to 2014, if you may recall that there was a large, large uh, service problem during that time. And I can say that was probably the most stressful time uh, in my time at the STB. I was constantly getting called up to the Hill to have meetings with uh, senators and congressmen to discuss what we were doing to improve service because it was impacting uh, the variety of states, uh, especially agriculture at that time, uh, crude by rail had surged. Um, some of the same dynamics were at play there that are at play now, but it never rose to the level that uh, we're at right now. So um, that, that's that got to be taking up a lot of time. Um, and obviously, I think when Chairman Oberman came into this job, he didn't see this coming because nobody saw it coming. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, had other things in mind, including reciprocal switching and, um, like you said, the rate case process. Uh, and, and those are also big, big um, um, projects in themselves. And there's only so many people on the staff. It's always good to remind everyone that the agency is only about 140 employees. They have a large docket, mm-hmm. cases coming in at all times. Most of them you never hear about. Um, all kinds of things going on at the agency, a limited amount of people to get all that work done. Um, and so when you grow a docket uh, to the level where it stands today, that's very difficult to get all that work done, including um, a major merger, CPKCS, which we're all waiting mm-hmm. uh, to hear about. Uh, a decision supposed to be out shortly. And that has to be overwhelming in itself. We haven't had a merger of that size in over 20 years. So there's a lot on their plate, but I, I do think that um, number one, reciprocal switching is probably the number one thing that rail shippers are hoping that gets done here in the very near future because um, it would give them options on service. Uh, where service is poor, uh, they could say, now we can have a second railroad um, serve us and maybe they can do better. Uh, it would initiate competition where no competition existed before, and just mm-hmm. economics 101 uh, by initiating that uh, competition should uh, create better service as a result because one side one railroad has to win the business, and obviously, in the end, shippers really want um, more than anything else uh, predictability. Um, while rates and, and and money are obviously extremely important. Uh, being able to operate their plants and um, know how many people that they have to have at a plant um, to operate all depends on when that product gets there and when it leaves. So um, that's really important. And if reciprocal switching can improve that, uh, I think you'll see people at least use that as um, a bargaining chip uh, in discussions with the railroads. If the railroads do still continue to poorly serve them, then uh, you may see some reciprocal switching cases uh, if that uh, new rule is put in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, so you bring up this this issue of, of bandwidth, essentially, that there's only so many people that can, get, can go through so many, so many uh, issues. You know, aside from that, I don't think the public sort of really understands what all is involved with 
uh, a new regulation coming to fruition and, you know, how it could be challenged in the courts and just all the sort of the hoops that you can, that you have to jump through. Could you just review that? I think that would be really helpful. Sure. Um, you know, these types of rulemakings can be initiated, you know, through the board on their own, or a party can file something asking for a rulemaking. Uh, the board, a lot goes on behind the scenes. Uh, there's uh, an economics group uh, division of the STB. And um, quite often in these uh, very technical uh, proceedings that deal with um, high-level economic issues, they're hard at work trying to figure out, number one, uh, what type of impact will this uh, new rule or regulation have on the rail industry? Will it hurt the industry? Um, or is there a balance that needs to occur to help the shippers uh, feel um, or be more even with the railroads and the regulatory scheme. So there's a lot of studying that's going on behind the scene. And then while that's going on, there's the greater portion of the staff uh, at the STB are attorneys. And they're reviewing the rules and regulations to make sure that they will hold muster uh, if they are challenged um, by the railroads or whatever party, uh, by shippers, and um, so they're reviewing the law uh, and legal implications and making sure that all those hoops that you have to go through as far as everybody having an opportunity to talk about the um, issues and that all the issues that are before the board are covered uh, properly. Um, and then once all that's done, then they usually you see a notice of proposed rulemaking put out, which allows people to comment on the a proposed rule, and then there's usually a final rule that's put out, and that usually gets an opportunity for the public to comment. And then uh, that rule can be put in place, and then you can appeal that decision to the federal circuit court. Um, usually that's the D.C. circuit court, um, and then that uh, goes through a very deferential scrutiny, but at the same time, I have seen numerous rulemakings either being sent back to the board for further work or um, having rules uh, rejected uh, or just saying that the rules are fine, which is generally the case. Um, but at the same time, it's very common for those uh, decisions to be challenged. Uh, you've seen that lately when the board came out with final offer rate review and the voluntary arbitration rules, um, the railroads. Uh, challenged both of those, and uh, those are still in the early stages of the appeal process. Mm -hmm. So it can take years, many years. <laughs> and if, if you look yeah, at reciprocal I mean, switching, that, that really I mean, sort of puts it, puts it in perspective of, of how difficult that is. Um, you know, we have about just under two minutes left. I mean, maybe we, maybe we should ask something about safety, um, you know, just because that seems to be the topic of, of, of the hour. D does the STB, in your opinion, have a role to play in safety in light of the fact that the, the FRA, DOT, NTSB are all so heavily involved in, in, in safety issues? I mean, the, obviously, um, the big concern that STB always con is concerned about uh, safety and the impact that it has, um, like you look at the merger with CP and KCS. So they take those things into consideration. Um, a lot of the times those are done in coordination with the Federal Railroad Administration. Um, when they're reviewing uh, large-scale projects uh, through the environmental assessment. Um, so 
safety is a concern, but the FRA has the um, jurisdiction over the safety issues. Uh, and obviously the NTSB has issues over um, large scale accidents like we saw recently um, that have really um, caught the eyes of, of everyone and had, um, as you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, caught the eye of everyone, including Congress, uh, the Senate introducing a new bill and the FRA taking making special efforts to make sure that uh, everything is safe out there. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, so we're about out of time. How, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, you can just look us up on gkglaw.com um, or uh, just Google me, Daniel Elliott, former STB chairman, and um, hopefully no bad pictures will come up, but uh, you should uh, be able to get a hold of me that way. Easy enough. Uh, we found you that way. So uh, th- thanks so much. That's that great insight. Yeah, thank you.